Hey everyone, before we get into today's show, just want to let you know that it's brought to you by SeatGeek. SeatGeek, as you know, is the best way for you to buy and sell tickets right on your smartphone. You can get it on any smartphone, whether it's an iPhone or an Android, and you're going to be able to find tickets to anything you want to go to, whether that's a concert, a Cavs game, or something else that is just piquing your interest on that certain day. I've used SeatGeek before. It's the best way for me to get tickets in the last minute when I needed a Cavs tickets, when I needed Migos tickets, when I needed to run the Jewels tickets. Whenever I've needed tickets, I go to SeatGeek. All their deals are graded, whether they're good or bad. You can see the view from your seat right in the app, so there's going to be no confusion on what kind of deal you're getting. And all the deals are coming from the best ticket sites out there, so you know for a fact that every possible option is right there in the app. My listeners today can save $20 on their first SeatGeek purchase by using the promo code LOCAVS. That's L-O-C-A-V-S, and you can save $20 on your first purchase in a mail-in rebate by entering that that code under the settings tab right in the app. So again, download the SeatGeek app today, use the promo code LOCAVS, and save $20 on that first part. Just make sure you don't miss that concert, that Cavs game, that play, whatever you want to see, make sure you don't miss it by using SeatGeek. You are Locked On Cavaliers, your daily podcast on the Cleveland Cavaliers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Locked On Cavaliers, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. It's part of the Locked On Podcast Network and brought to you by Fear the Sword. As always, I'm Chris Manning, your host from Fear the Sword. It's a Monday. We're not doing a mailbag today. That's going to be on Wednesday. We're going to talk today about the Cavs' defense. We're going to talk about Cavs Spurs later on in the show with Jeff Garcia, the host of Locked On Spurs. Since we last talked on Friday, the Cavs did lose to the Char- to beat the Charlotte Hornets, excuse me, one twelve to one hundred five, and then lost to the Washington Wizards on Saturday, one twenty seven to one fifteen. Defense again was the big topic coming out of the weekend. Um, tell me, break that down a little bit before we preview Cavs Spurs. It's Chops from Complex Chops. What's going on? What's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing good. So, uh, first, before we get into the the specifics of this, Friday, Saturday, what are, what was your takeaways from the weekend? Um, I I just like this team is just aggressively unfocused as a whole right now. Yes. Like it's just like they were, and this is like a conversation I had on Twitter last night after the wizard after the Wizards game, which they're I'm not worried about them, but they're just so annoying right now. Like it's just like a chore to watch them because they right now refuse to put together a whole game against like a competent opponent. Yeah, uh, Saturday's game was one of those nights where Cavs Twitter was just in a mood. Like you had the 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 range of responses from frustrated to just whatever to flat out annoyed to just like I don't to just every every emotion you could have about that game on Saturday I think people had. Um, what was interesting to me is that there was this very big divide amongst the team's comfort with where things are at I think versus where fans' comfort is at. I think there is some distrust on both sides, but I think fans seem a little bit more stressed out about this to me. They're mad about the the lack of effort on a game-to-game basis, which I think is certainly a thing. 
Um, I think there's there's frustration with the personnel from fan side. They want to see certain guys play. The team, I think, is being very pragmatic about this. I think the the reason for why the defense why the defense has struggled has changed. You know, there's been the the injury issues they've called out. They there's been the comfort with new guys playing with each other being a reason why the defense has struggled. Then you had uh, Tyler just say it was a function of the season. I think it's a combination of those things. And I also think there's just a lot to be said that when they played a very physical game on Friday night at the end of a road trip, LeBron, I think, took the most free throws that he took in any game this season in that win against Charlotte. Then you have to go play a really good Washington team the next night that in some ways is tailor-made to kind of frustrate the Cavs. That's that's a really tough assignment coming out of the second half of back to back. It's just like the the Wizards game. Everybody wants to talk about defense, but like that first quarter, the Wizards they hit shots. Like that's like the function of the NBA that a lot of people and a lot of Cavs fans I see don't understand. Like yeah, Markeith Morris was hitting step back turnaround jumpers, and Bradley Beal was hitting fadeaway jumpers from the corner. John Wall was his jumper was falling. It's not always like that. So it's like if. If John Wall's jumper is off last night, the Cavs probably win the game because they probably don't give up 40 points in the first quarter. You know? Yeah. It's just like – and that's why and, – and, like, I, I, I'm guilty of this too, but that's why you can't go too deep on a random back-to-back game in March. You know? Because so much random stuff happens throughout the NBA season that you can't just plan on something like that. Yeah, 100% agree with that. I think, too, the Cavs missed four or five shots in this game right at the rim. Jefferson had two, oh. Kyrie had two, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Kyrie so, had a rough game last night. Yeah, Kyrie did have a rough game. And I also will note that some of the stuff with the Cavs defense, I think, does come down to effort. You know, I think there are certain uh, there are certain issues with how the team plays effort-wise. I think you see in the Nuggets game, it's not good. I mean, that there's a lot of just kind of lazy, lazy rotations and lazy cutting guys off against the Wizards. John Wall is fantastic because he's so fast and because he gets on transition. The Cavs did a really bad job of knowing when that was coming and sort of being ready to cut him off. I think in a playoff series, you'd expect more out of them in that sense. And, of course, John Wall's really good. He's going to have those moments. They're not going to deny a guy every time, but I think effort does go a long way. And, and I think you saw both sides of that last night. I think you had moments where there was a pick and roll where Kevin Love – comes out really high and Kyrie just dies on the screen and Wall just blitzes to the rim and gets fouled inside because there's nothing to do. On another t- on another possession, Kevin Love came out twice on a John Wall pick and roll, frustrated yeah. that Wizards offense and really was a key part in the Wizards missing a shot or having a just having the possession f- just flail out. I, you have both sides of that coin even in a game where the Cavs play really bad overall defensively. That being said, giving up 70 points in a, in one half twice in three games is not great, and defensive rating doesn't lie. I mean, the Cavs just, for whatever reason you want to attribute it to, they're the second worst defensive team in the league overall since yeah. uh, since they also break in. I don't think there's any reason to think that this team is quite as good as they were defensively last year based on what we've seen. But again, if that, f- that switch is flipped, that kind of opens up a whole new world of possibilities. My thing about it is, like, if you listen to, like, Road Trip, and, like, like they tell you what they're thinking. Like, RJ openly admitted that he hasn't seen LeBron James give yeah. 100% effort since June 19th. And that's that's just kind of what it is. And, like, people people kind of get mad at this. But if LeBron's not giving 100% on defense, then this team just doesn't do it. They just don't defend at that level, especially Kyrie. Kyrie is the one that really takes LeBron's lead on defense because I think he's such a competitive guy. 
But if he sees LeBron not giving 100% on defense, he's not going to get around every screen. He's not going to contest. He's not going to, you know, try and swipe the ball like that. Even though he did have some moments last night where he did get a steal on John Wall and they got the, the three-point play with RJ. But I think it's – and especially – I was talking to, uh, to Zavak about this on Twitter last night. The, the small lineup when LeBron was playing center, if LeBron doesn't want to rebound or, or like, help at the rim, then Kelly Oubre is going to get – Layups. That's just how it is. So it's it, the the defense is just. It's like yes, it's bad, but like, it, I don't think it's as catastrophic as Cavs Twitter wants to make it. Hundred percent agree with that. I will also note too. Uh, I was covering the game last night, and Tyron Lue's presser to me was really interesting. Yeah, people didn't like that. Yeah, which I can understand. Like, I think some of what he said is it's sort of odd, but he's not a guy who. And and I think this is completely fair. He's not a guy that he's going to come out and tell you everything and he nor he really should he right like he's not going to tell you and us as media that what he's going to do defensively and what's going to change uh that, that's like he there's no reason for him to do that like if you tell everyone your secrets and your trend in your tweaks like you know it's going to get out um but he had this quote that he got asked about uh the team's defense you know compared to this year versus last year us generally having the same conversation about those things and he said Quote, I'm not confident, but we have to, we have to, about them getting better and him being confident versus them needing to get better. Yeah. He, if you watch the video, and I didn't note this in my story, I probably should have. Other people didn't as well. He laughed kind of when he got asked that question. Yeah. And watching him talk, I didn't see, you can typically tell when I got, when guys are frustrated, when guys are, um, annoyed with something especially when it's that close to a game like we talked to Tyrone Lue 15 to 20 minutes after a game unless he is this expert at masking his feelings and like hiding his frustration in a moment I think it's, it'd be hard to kind of come all the way back down right after a game I think that would be really hard to do um I I, I think he seems just kind of confident about it what's interesting is that he says quote we have to we gotta hold back we can't show our hand because the, the, these are good teams and we don't want them to be able to adjust to what we do. So we just got to play our normal defense until we get there, there being the playoffs, and then we'll see what happens. Here's the thing, and I fully believe Ty Lue. I fully believe that in practice they are putting in defensive things to, to try and fix this. <laughs> problem is most casual NBA fans don't really know what that means when it comes to putting in defensive schemes. You know, they like they think of like like it's not the NFL where you can where you call plays and stuff in that nature. You know, it's so when Ty says that most NBA like casual Cavs fans are like, "Wait, what is he talking about? You just try harder." You know? Mhm. Yeah, but, 100% uh, agree. Like like they're it's obvious that they're holding stuff back. They're not like like just look at the way they run the pick and roll. They don't even do anything, you know? They they just they just switch everything right now. I don't think that that's going to be the case in the playoffs. You know, they're not hard trapping anybody. They're really they're really showing they're not really showing anything. It's really a vanilla defense that they're running right now. Yeah, they're not doing anything super complex. I think there are little things that are problematic. I think you don't have a lot of plus defenders. Um, well, I yeah, see. you don't. Yeah, you. I mean, you don't. Um, you don't have necessarily guys that are super athletic. I think J.R. Smith. Not being at his at his best is certainly impactful. Tyron Lue talks a lot about him being the Cavs' best wing defender. Of course, LeBron is the team's best wing defender. But if you're talking about who's defending ones and twos, yeah, it's J.R. Smith. Like that guy is incredibly valuable. Um, and yeah, Ky- and, and, yeah, and Ky- need, they, Kyrie's playing bad. It, it's kind of a lot goes wrong. Yeah, they need J.R. to get back into rhythm because he's getting lost a lot right now on defense. You can see it. 
the problem is like Shump was getting lost just as much as Jr. was. So it's like, um, so it's like you might as well let Jr. try and figure it out. But yeah, I mean the defense, it's it's annoying. It's very annoying to watch this team right now. And Boston could tie them in the standings, or you know, I guess this comes, you know, uh, could very well overtake them. But I don't think LeBron cares about that. Like I, I just don't think that he does. And as much as the fans want to panic about possibly being the two seed, I just don't think that the team is that concerned. Yeah, and as we record this, I should note the, the Celtics haven't played the Heat yet, so we don't know exactly how the standings are going to shake out yet. Um, Chop, let's wrap it up on this. What's up? There is a there's talk. I mean, there's talk amongst Kev's Twitter a lot about Larry Sanders. I, I get a lot of questions about this. Um, I, I'm gonna this quote from Lou last night for me was is really telling, and just how they talk they've talked about him since the moment he signed to me. I find it really interesting. So he said, "quote We we have to try to get him in get him in some better shape. Right now, his timing and his shape." is not good. It's why he's been in the D-League playing, trying to get ready. The guys in the D-League say he's been great, so he's just trying to get to that point. Right now, Tristan's all we have at center when he got asked about if Larry could play a minute at center. Yeah. I, I've gotten a couple tweets even Sunday about Larry being the fix. I 100% do not think that is the case. He's going back to Canton. Two years away from the NBA is just a long time. The From the moment the Cavs signed him, they said this is a long-term play. The, his contract structure is that way as well. Um, it's very telling that they're not even really comfortable with him playing a lot of games yet, even at the D-League level. He's spending a lot of time in practice. He's getting yeah. everything back that way. Tyron Lue didn't exactly say no, that he's that he's not going to you know get a chance. But if he's not ready to just eat up minutes for Tristan, that's really telling to me. And I think the Cavs clearly made this pivot from getting Bogut, who would have been a guy I think they would have tr- used, you know, used in the regular season, used to keep Tristan's minutes down, which is another reason the Cavs' defense is struggling because Tristan, I think, is kind of tired. And there's something going on with Tristan. Lou a couple weeks ago mentioned that he had tendonitis that hasn't really been talked about much, but yeah. there, there's something I think kind of there with Tristan. I mean, three, two seasons, and then heading into a third of playing a lot of basketball, especially when he played for Canada a little bit over the summer. I mean, that's going to add up on anybody. Um, And then they pivoted from Bogut, who could play, directly to the other end of the spectrum of a guy who is a developmental piece. They they could have, you know, picked another veteran, signed an Eric Moreland type to do sort of play minutes now and maybe develop him into something. But they went completely the other way, and I think that's fair. Um, I think you could do that with this roster if you're comfortable with Tristan taking all that burden. There's room to critique it for sure, but I just I don't know how you feel about it. I just don't expect Larry Sanders to make any sort of an impact on the team this year. He's not going to be ready to play in the playoffs. Well, I I, I think I, I it's not fair to to count on Larry for anything, but I feel like they might try and roll him out in the playoffs at some point. I I honestly feel like they they like they might try and play him, and that's just I talked to Larry the other day. Just sound like I, I just called him to give kind of because you know what, just for the listeners who might not, I interviewed him twice in the past year. Um, developed a little bit of relationship with, with him, so I just wanted to give him a call and kind of see where his head's at. You know, talk to him about the city, and uh, he's in a good place. But um, the feeling I got is like like Lou, yeah, like you said, he's in he's practicing a lot. They don't want even even to play in Canton games a lot. But um, I think that Lou might try and roll him out there. To be honest, I don't think that they're counting on him for anything. But like it might be something to say, you know what? Let's let's give it a shot. Yeah, I just I I saw him play in Canton. Like I went to his his one game, 
and he yeah. he was moving well. He was physically like was actually moving DV guys around. But yeah. he picked up five fouls, one of which I thought was a little bit iffy in about ten minutes. Like it's not like he he was pretty off in that sense. The timing um, mean, is off. Yeah, it's super even, off. Even it, it just in his first game, like you could just see it. Like he just doesn't have, and like you can see it with Jr. and Jr. took Jr. was off for four, like what two months in his timing's off. Mm-hmm. Literally off for two years. You know, like it's 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 definitely a thing that a lot of people don't um maybe don't realize. But yeah. Um, I mean, it will be interesting, and I think I think that they would have probably signed him no matter what this summer, and so I think it definitely is a future play. But like, if if they think that he can maybe give them five minutes in a playoff game, then I I think we might see it. You know, I think you're right about that. I just don't think yeah, I don't, actually, I don't think it'll mean anything, and I wonder if it'd be better to just play him at least like a few minutes on a you know on a back to back or something like that to get him like in the third quarter and just give Tristan a break. You know, like, I mean, you want continuity defensively and stuff, but Tristan needs a breather. Like, and I, I don't think they're going to let make him stop his, his consecutive games streak. I don't yeah. think they're going to make him do that. And it's just like, who do you play if Tristan doesn't? Cause like even Fry's kind of fallen out of the rotation right now a little bit because he's been just horrible on defense. So like, yeah. I don't even, I it's And like, you can't, the thing is LeBron refuses right now. Like, you can just see him. Like, he's not going to – if he's playing the five, he's not going to, like, body up with guys because he just doesn't – he refuses to do it. Even, like, I, I doubt he'd do it until the Easter Conference Finals until he had to, you know? So it's like there's a lot of pressure on Tristan right now to be the only big, and that's unfortunate because he's probably, like, their third most – third to fourth most important player in a series against Golden State. So it's like you'd prefer if Tristan was – is peak condition as possible going into the playoffs. Yeah, 100% agree with that. It'll be interesting to see what they do. Next year, it'll be really interesting to see if they start utilizing uh, like a two-way contract in a situation, the way they're structured where you have a cap on how many games a guy can play with your NBA team. I think it would be really interesting because you could have signed someone like Moreland to that deal, keep the cost down, and then just had him give Tristan rest. Like I think that's going to be something they can better utilize next year to maybe avoid getting into this situation. And you probably could have just not signed Birdman to start the year. You know, like you could have just found someone that wasn't 38 years old. Like, I mean, right. that's to go all the way back to the beginning. I think this, this type of situation that we're in right now with Tristan and seeing how this is unfolding for the team, I certainly think it's always been on the table from day one when you committed to Birdman. The, the, yeah, the thing is, and people like people bring up last year, like how bad Mozgov was, and I've talked about that more than anybody. But during the regular season, there's a reason T. Lou played him up until the playoffs, and it made everybody mad. Everybody was like, "Why? Why is Mozgov playing?" Well, it was to keep Tristan fresh, you know. Like that was like that was the main reason. Then once the playoffs slipped, there was Tristan. So we don't have that going right now. But, you know, you just got to kind of hope that Tristan's maybe holding back something. Because the thing about Lou, Lou does keep Tristan's minutes pretty around, like, around 25 a game, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, we talk about we talk about LeBron, how he plays 40 minutes and everything, and everybody freaks out about that. But I really do like how how Lou kind of controls Tristan's minutes. Yeah, for, for, for reference on Tristan's minutes, uh, currently he's averaging 29.9 a game. That is the most he has averaged in the second LeBron era. But it is less than his second and third seasons. If he keeps on that current pace, plays 82 games again, which he, you know, most certainly will, uh, he will play more minutes overall than he did 
the first year and maybe in last year as well, but not nearly. He played 2,500, almost 2,600 in both 2013, 2012, 2013, and 2013, 2014. He'll, he won't get that high, but he probably will end up being higher than the last two years, which I, I think is notable. And I do think he's, he's a guy who could use like a summer to just rest and he could, they could use another healthy big, um, especially because he's going to be so vital against golden state. If that ends up being the finals matchup again. Yeah. He's, he's so important. And, like, it's good that K-Love's back, and K-Love doesn't have any restrictions anymore because it really takes a lot of pressure off Tristan when it comes to rebounding. He's not the only guy out there trying to box out, like, three guys. So that so that should help Tristan a little bit, the, you know, return to K-Love. Yeah, and let's just note one thing, too, that, like, it's the Cavs lost that game last night. LeBron was frustrated a little bit after the game. But the dude's on his Instagram story right now just, like, enjoying more life. Like, the, yeah. guy, the guy's not too worried right now. No, like, and I saw Wendy. Wendy was on ESPN this morning, and he was like, and he he gave this stat: LeBron's been the four, the, the two seed, four times in the Eastern Conference playoffs, and he's made the finals every single time. I really don't think. And you know what? Bill Simmons had a good tweet last night. Bill Simmons doesn't always have good basketball <laughs> tweets, especially when the Celtics are good. But he said that this is setting up for a, an amazing. No one believes in us, Cavs. LeBron's LeBron narrative, and I think that. He might have something there, you know? Yeah, I I kind of agree with that, too. Um, But Chops, man, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, you ready? Are you ready to do Mailbag again on Wednesday? You'll be back on the show. Yep, we're doing it. All right, and one thing before we transition to Jeff Garcia of Locked On Spurs, I am announcing a Locked On Cavs giveaway. So, uh, between now, it's March 27th, and the end of the day on April 3rd, if you go on iTunes and you submit a five-star rating and review for the Locked On Cavaliers podcast, you will be entered to win a copy of the upcoming book, which is by Brian Windhorst and David Meneman, Return of the King. So that book is a behind-the-scenes look of the Cavs' title run last year, their comeback against the Warriors. Everything about the last two and a half years of Cavs basketball is going to be covered in that book. I've got a review copy of it. I've read 75% of it already. It is great. Um, and on April 4th, I will pick a winner and email that person to notify them that they've won. To enter, you first go on iTunes, leave that five-star rating and review. Your review has to be a minimum of 15 words, so actually write something. And then you email me at the pod at lockdowncavs at gmail.com and, and claim that to your review and say who you are, give me your email, and we will and you'll be entered into the contest. I will announce the winner on the April 5th show after I pick the winner on April 4th. And when the book comes out, which I believe is April 11th, I will then send the book to you, and you'll get a shout-out on the show, which is not nearly as cool of a prize, but a part of the prize pack nonetheless. So again, between now and April 3rd, if you go leave a review on the Lockdown Cavaliers podcast on iTunes, minimum of 15 words, and then email it to me at lockdowncavs at gmail.com that it is you and you claim that review, you'll be entered to win a copy of Return of the King by Brian Windhorst and Dave McMenamin, and both of ESPN. The, whoever writes the, the best review will get a copy of that book. You are Locked On Cavaliers, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Locked On Cavaliers. Today, though, it's a special episode. We're crossing over with Locked On Spurs and Jeff Garcia. Jeff, how's it going? I'm doing great, and uh, it's round two between what could possibly be a NBA Finals preview. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly on the table. The Cavs... Are you know certainly the favorites in the East? The Spurs are right out there in the West, uh, going back and forth with the Golden State Warriors, and I mean the Spurs are as always just 
really really good as they seem to be every year and probably will be until the nba no longer exists but what we're gonna <laughs> what we're gonna do for this show is we're gonna go back and forth give three keys for our respective teams that we're covering uh to win so jeff uh, you want to start and give us your first key to this a spurs victory yeah you know what my first key to a spurs victory over cleveland is bring the defense why because your Cavs average about 110.5 points per game not only that at least this season, they are averaging that the 110.5, which is first in the East, fourth best in the NBA, and your Cavs have scored at least 100 points in 55 of 72 games this season. I mean, that's just incredible. So I think the Spurs have to bring their defense because, look, the Spurs, once again, shocking, are one of the better defensive teams in the league. They're ranked second in the NBA holding teams to 98.4 points per game. Now, I get it, Chris. You could say, well, you know, that was a thrilling overtime game in Cleveland where the Spurs eked out the win by uh, three points. But again, that was a situation where they just needed Kawhi Leonard heroics, a DeJounte Murray rookie to kind of come out of nowhere and play great. Because at the end of the day, look, LeBron and Kyrie scored 29 points apiece in that uh, loss for the Cavs. And then you have Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson they had double-doubles in that game. The Spurs were lucky, in my opinion, to get the win. A lot of good breaks went their way, but they can't do that again, especially with a Cavs team that is, well, pretty dangerous offensively. So that's my first key to a Spurs win over Cleveland is bring that defense. Yeah, the Cavs, even when they've played bad defensively, they have a very competent offense, and we've seen that. I mean, twice in the, their past three games, they've given up 70 points in the first half, and in those two games, they still have had pretty good offensive performances. So kind of a wonky thing with the Cavs. Coincidentally, my first key to the game is also for the Cavs to bring the defense. Um, as I'm sure you've seen, the Cavs yep. have had some very, very bad defensive performances of late. Mm -hmm. uh, for the year, they're 22nd in defensive rating. They're 29th since the All-Star break, just above the Lakers, who are actively trying to tank and keep their draft pick. And, <laughs> and, and you've seen the Cavs against the Wizards and the Nuggets get picked apart by teams with really good offenses. Both those teams were moving the ball really well, something the Spurs do really well those teams have shooting something the spurs have and they have guys that can push the pace and dominate the ball uh you had nicole Jokic really pick apart the Cavs, and then you had john wall really push the pace get in get guys into foul trouble and do a really nice job of putting the Cavs on their heels the spurs six in the league in offensive rating uh they have patty mills who i think is going to do some make Kyrie have to work and they have Kawhi. uh they have danny right. green who if J.R. Smith isn't locked in defensively, is going to get some open looks. The Cavs are going to win this game on the road to, uh, you know, in an important game for them if they want to keep the number one seed in the East. They're certainly, I think, going to have to buckle down on that end, and San Antonio is going to push them in ways that, that I think is a good test, and, it, and it'll kind of be a benchmark of how they're going to do against another team that's a good offensive team. Again, the Nuggets for the year fourth in offensive rating Spurs six Wizards nine to three teams in four games that rate out very very well offensively yeah exactly you know and the, despite the Cavs woes right now they're still a dangerous team for anybody in the league despite them kind of I don't know how to describe it Chris I guess are they going through their motions are they bored are they just um getting exposed I don't know what's going on with the Cavs you're obviously you know better but that kind of leads me to my second key to a Spurs victory over Cleveland is this. Play four quarters of basketball. The Spurs have just not have been doing that. Yes, they are winning. And I think 
our uh, fearless leader, David Locke, once told me, he goes, I don't know how you do it covering team every year that just does so well. It probably gets repetitive. But there are things that the uh, Spurs have been doing not right on the court, and one of them is not playing four quarters of basketball. You Say what you will about the Spurs win last oh, a couple of days ago against the Knicks, and yes, they still got the W, and that's all that matters, but they let that Knicks team get back into the game. Why? Because after playing a tremendous first half and just smacking up New York, they let them come back by allowing the Knicks to score 31 points in the third quarter. The Spurs only mustered up 17. They tend to take their foot off the gas, and it's not good. It gets even worse, I guess, if you're a Spurs fan. You want to listen to what Mono Ginobili said after the win against Cleveland. I'm sorry, against the New York. Uh, he basically said, we let them back in the game. They made a great run. We put them back in the game. It's a combination of things, but still a little disappointing after a first, after a great first half, end quote. The Spurs are aware of the fact that they let up the pressure, and you cannot do that against a Cleveland team, especially led by LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, and, of course, Kevin Love. Spurs got to play four quarters of basketball. They don't want to be that first team that perhaps propels Cleveland in the right mind frame and lets them go on some crazy run to end the regular season. Yeah, I think that's that's interesting to watch too, just because the Cavs are I think are a team that don't always bring a lot of effort. Um, and I think right now you're seeing them go through this weird spot where they're coming off a long road trip by coastal road trip where they had to fly from from LA to Charlotte to play a game and then play the next night against Washington. The, the Charlotte game was one of the most physical games they've played all year. LeBron took the most free throws of any game he has taken in a single game yeah. in that game. Uh, and I think they're a little bit beat up right now. You have Alon Shumper dealing with things. We'll see if he's healthy. We'll see how these other guys look. And and I think that's a really good thing because if the Cavs kind of have the same problem, like maybe we'll get a game where they kind of things are get kind of goofy. Um, with that Um, my second takeaway or key to this game is Tristan Thompson and how he plays Um, you know this I mean you got LaMarcus Aldridge back yeah um, you get you have Powell you have Deadman who's played really well for you guys David Lee Mm -hmm. Tristan Thompson has not been at his best self in about I think two weeks Um, I don't know exactly what it is I certainly think the fatigue of him playing every night and playing so many minutes at center is certainly a problem I think He's dealing with something with his knee. I think it's been a, a longer issue, not maybe a major issue. But you had Tyron Lucobisco say that he's dealing with some tendonitis. Um, yeah. That, that, and that's a problem. He's going to have to be incredibly mobile to defend guys like that. Powell, for, for his flaws and for how, how long he's been in the league, is a very skilled offensive player. LaMarcus is a very, very good player, and Kevin Love will have to defend him as well. Devin's a beast. Like, Devin, De- Dwayne Devin... Mm-hmm. He's not like an offensive savant by any means, but he's a seven foot turner, <laughs> 245-pound athletic guy that Tristan's going to have to contend with. And the Spurs move the ball so well. And a lot of the Cavs' defense really lies on Tristan being an active player inside. So how he looks is going to be really interesting. And I just, I'm just i curious to see how the Cavs sort of counter what the Spurs are going to do with their big guys. And I and I wonder, uh, too, who the Cavs have defend who. I mean, um, I don't, who's the, the starting court normal they're in, up front? Um, with Aldridge, who's the normal pairing uh, up front for you? It's with Deadman. Now okay. it's Deadman, and okay. Powell's now coming off the bench. So, like, I wonder if the Cavs will, you know, go you know, start with Tristan um, on Lamarcus because you know that'll give be the better one-on-one matchup. Or they're going to have Tristan go on Deadman mm-hmm. because he could have more room to roam, and he'll probably get closer to the room because Lamarcus does have that ability to pick and pop a little bit. 
Yeah, um, the Spurs are definitely on the right track right now. Uh, perhaps they're catching Cleveland at the right time with Cleveland kind of fumbling a little bit and the Spurs seemingly getting their stride right now. They're winners of, what, four in a row uh, for the uh, Spurs are on a four-game winning streak. They're on a three-game home winning streak. So they're definitely peaking at the right moment. The Spurs definitely can have a letdown tonight because later on tonight, the Spurs start off, I guess, hell week for them. Because not only they kick it off with the Cavs, then they got Golden State at home, then they go to Oklahoma City, then they host Utah, then they host Memphis. So uh, to, against Cleveland, it's the start of a pretty tough stretch of their schedule. And I think the Spurs are about to be tested right now, beginning tonight at home versus the Eastern Conference champs, Cavs, and the defending NBA champs as well. All right, let's go ahead and go to my third point for a uh, Spurs victory tonight against Cleveland, and it's simply this. Bring that three-point defense. The Cavs are pretty good from long distance. Look, Cleveland leads the East in three-pointers made about what, 941. That's second in the NBA. They, they're, they're about three-pointers made per game. 13, which is again second in the NBA. Their three-point percentage is 38%, second in the NBA. They can knock down those long-distance bombs. The Spurs cannot afford that because if they get Cleveland and they are hitting their stride from beyond the arc and knocking down threes, Spurs could be in for a big fight tonight in the Alamo City. So watch those three-pointer shooters for Cleveland. They do that. The Spurs sitting pretty and hopefully getting that W. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of key because I think the Cavs are as a team have had some up and down with the three point shooting. Kyrie has been shooting well. Kevin Love's been shooting well. Noticeably, I think too, you'll notice this. Kevin Love has been popping out a little bit farther behind the three point mm-hmm. line than he was maybe a couple of months ago. I don't know if this is a for sure a strategy thing, but it's kind of what the Rockets have done with having Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon set up behind the three point line. Kevin Love is moving back just a little bit and still shooting pretty well. J.R. Smith is sort of, I think, the key to what you're hitting at there because he mm-hmm. doesn't not – you'll notice this. He's not really playing like the J.R. Smith we maybe saw in the playoffs last year or the J.R. Smith we've seen since he got he came over from the Knicks. Um, he needs he, to play with his uh, shirt off. Maybe that'll help yeah, him. Yeah, maybe a game where <laughs> – yeah, maybe a game where he comes in like a little a little under the weather, if you get what I'm saying, <laughs> and, and gets back into the groove. But um, for the year, he's only shooting 33.8% from three. You know, last year with the Cavs at forty percent, um, with the Cavs and that half the forty six games in the two thousand fourteen fifteen season is at thirty nine percent. So he's he's pretty decently lower from where he was. Uh, the, the Cavs need him. I mean, they need him for spacing. They need him to create a little bit too. And his and recently as he's come back, he's had some up and down games. So you know, three of five against the the Hornets on Friday, but the next night he's only two of six. One of six mm-hmm. against the against the Nuggets. Oh five, oh seven in both games in LA, and before that he was four of eight against the Jets. So it's been an up and down bit for Jr. But if he gets hitting, I think it makes everyone on the Cavs a little bit harder to defend. It opens things up for Kyrie. It opens things up for LeBron, and of course Kyle Korver, another guy. If he just catches fire, like it, the Cavs just become a lot harder to defend. Yeah, we could see a uh, three-point shootout uh, later on tonight. Uh, the Spurs rank number one in the NBA at three-point field goal percentage at 39, and the Cavs are right there at 38%, which is good for third in the NBA. So uh, we could be looking at the long ball tonight. But, you know, just kind of some bonus things. Look, the Spurs are 10-1 and one against five other teams that have at least 45 wins this season, and that includes Cleveland. So 
the Spurs definitely can get it done against the cream of the crop. And ever since um, in the last 18 games, the Spurs are 15 and three, which is best in the NBA. So perhaps it looks like your Cavs might be catching the Spurs at the wrong time for the Cavs because uh, the Spurs are kind of hot right now. Yeah, you know, it wouldn't shock me um, if the Cavs don't look good in this game. Hmm. Like, I mean, I just I don't think they're playing all that well. I think they've, they've played a lot of games in March. They're working a lot of guys back in defensively. They're they're a mess right now. Mm-hmm. I th- I think there's a chance they don't look good. I, I really think there's a chance they kind of just look really, really bad. I watched that recent uh, loss to Washington, uh, and when I was looking at the Cavs, and I was, I was thinking to myself, that's not the defending champs I know. No. Like, something looked off. Like, they looked very slow in transition defense. They were letting... I mean, yes, I know it's John Wall, and I get that, but, I mean, he was almost getting to the rim almost at ease. Mm-hmm. Uh, LeBron, he was trying to be LeBron and try to rescue them, but it was just like the surrounding players are just like in a funk. That's the best way to describe mm-hmm. it. It looks like, yes, they were there physically, but mentally they weren't there. Yeah, and one, one note about that, too, is LeBron will still have these moments where he does very LeBron things. But I kind of wonder, partially because of what Richard Jefferson said on the Road Trippin' Pod, he hosts with uh, Channing Fry and Allie Clifton. He said he hasn't seen LeBron go 100% in a game since last year's Game 7. Interesting. And I don't know how much I – I think some of that has to be hyperbole. Like, it just has mm-hmm. to be. Um, but I do think there's probably something, the idea that LeBron, even if he's playing a lot of minutes, even if he's taxing himself in certain moments, I think they're probably – we're not seeing LeBron unleashed all the time like I don't think you're gonna see it for like a full game or anything like that no oh, well I mean look I'm looking forward to a great game and I think uh these two teams uh could provide that for the fans let's, let's hope pop and Lou don't sit all the stars again no imagine yeah. that imagine they yeah. sit everybody again yeah. and here we go again yeah but yeah um oh go ahead yeah so my last takeaway from this kind of leads into this thing about the Cavs that's really interesting um and I wonder how the Spurs counter to this because I think they have the personnel to do it, but you'll you have to correct me if I'm wrong. The Spurs don't go small quite a bit. Like, it's mm-hmm. not something they – like they don't do quiet the four um, with Jonathan Simmons and Manu and whoever else in the floor. Like, that's not something they do a lot. The Cavs the last two games have gone to these lineups in the fourth quarter where LeBron James is playing the five with RJ, with Darren Williams, with, with uh, J.R. Smith, Sometimes Kyrie and Darren Williams on the floor at the same time. We saw that on Saturday against Washington. They're going to use that, and I think it's sort of an evolution for them. It's not something I I think has figured itself out yet. I think the Cavs have issues with it defensively. I think certain teams, the Spurs certainly could be one of them that could really destroy it, especially if their best small ball lineup involves LaMarcus at the five. Right. Um, And if that means you have to play Tristan, you have to play Tristan or play Kevin Love, you have to play Kevin Love. I think you're going to see this, though, and I think it's going to be really interesting to see who blinks first. If the Spurs say we're going to stick with what we got, we're not going to adjust, and they they get run off the floor in that sense, do they then have to adjust in the late, late in the game if it's a close game? If the Cavs struggle with it and they have problems, do they have to go back to their starters at lower than they might like to? Typically, you're going to see the Cavs put everyone back in around the five, six minute mark of the fourth quarter after LeBron has had some run with bench units and Kyrie uh, and Love have rested to start the fourth and LeBron will kind of just roll out a lot of the fourth quarter there. I wonder to see who wins out in that matchup there. And if we see the Spurs, if we see like LeBron, if we see a LeBron Kawhi matchup where they're playing both at the five, I'm mm-hmm. all, I'm all the way in on this game no matter what else happens. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, look, uh, Popovich is notorious for not changing, uh, and he'll stick to what works. And right now, it's been going big. Um, about the only change he did, and, and basically it was just still going big, was just swapping out Deadman for Powell in the starting unit, and that's about it. Yeah, you know, he's been sticking to playing a big lineup. He hasn't really gone small. Uh, he tends to use David Lee a lot, and he's a small, he's an undersized five, as you know that. But that's about the only where only area where he'll go small is in the middle. But other than that, not really. I, I mean, the it's going to be interesting to see what he does against the Warriors uh, in the next game. But as far as the Cavs tonight, I think he's just going to stick to what's been working, and that is just going big. Yeah, I kind of and I kind of want to see how the Cavs respond to that too. I think the Cavs might need to play trading Fry more than they're comfortable with right now because he's been really bad on defense and they've they haven't used him as much over the last two games. He didn't even play uh, Friday against Charlotte. I mean, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, the Cavs' best lineup probably is that starting five that won the title last year. That is their typical ideal starting five of Kyrie, J.R. Smith, uh, LeBron James, Kevin Love, and Tristan Thompson. At the end of the day, that is probably the Cavs the best lineup and that sort of matches up with what the Spurs are going to do as well it's going to be a traditional more traditional at least two big lineup that's centered around the mm-hmm. playmaking ability of the small forward yeah and, and I think too because the way the Cavs have been playing at least offensively I mean say what you will about the final uh, result but offensively in the last four games the Cleveland is averaging 116.3 points per game off 52% shooting from the field including about 23 assists per game so Despite their malaise right now, they can still get those points up. And I think going big may disrupt that. You got Kawhi Leonard, you know, he always gives LeBron James fits. Then you got uh, kind of a mini Twin Towers, Deadman, and LaMarcus. And then, by the way, you bring off Powell off the bench. Oh, and if they want to do a stretch four, you got Davis Bertans. Um, the guy that gave Cleveland fits, DeJounte Murray, in the first meeting has been out of action uh, due to a groin injury. Don't know if he's going to play later on tonight. And he's kind of a big guard, uh, albeit a rookie. But nonetheless, yeah, Spurs got size, and they got lots of it. Yeah, and that, that's going to really, I think, if they use utilize it and go all the way down it, that's a way to really exploit the Cavs. The Cavs have Tristan Thompson, but Larry Sanders isn't going to even be with the team on Monday. Um, he's going to mm-hmm. be with the Canton Charge. And he's not even a guy who's actually good enough to play right now. Yeah. Uh, it's, he's just not going to. And, 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 and I think you're right. I want to, and I want to piggyback piggyback off what you said about Tristan Thompson. You know, because yeah, uh, historically, I, well, in recent history, you know, he's been giving the Spurs fits, um, and he plays kind of well against uh, the Silver and Black. He scored in double figures in four straight games against San Antonio. He's averaging about 14 points per game off 59% shooting about 11 rebounds per game in about 35 minutes. So he definitely raises his game for San Antonio, but I think the Spurs just have too much than what Cleveland does. But I'm not expecting Cleveland to roll over at all. I'm not. I think LeBron will get hyped for this because this is a a team and a coach that he just respects out the pores. I mean, you know about it. He's always Mm -hmm. applauding Popovich and what the Spurs do. So he's going to bring his A game. Kyrie Irving seems to light up against the Spurs. I was actually there years ago when he dropped 50-something on San Antonio and at the AT&T Center. It's going to be a good game, despite the fact that the Cavs kind of are up and down right now. I'm expecting this to go down to the fourth quarter. Yeah, I do too. I hope it's a good game. I hope uh, we get a good kind of idea of how these teams match up. You can, you know, there's a limit on what you can take away 
from regular season basketball sometimes, but this would be a really interesting finals, you know. I mean, if the, if the Warriors don't make it, the Spurs seem like, to me, the most likely team to get out of the West, and the Cavs, you know, barring other defense, actually being an Achilles heel or some major injury, mm-hmm. seem like they're the favorites to get out of the East as well. Oh, yeah, I would definitely not sleep on the Cavs in the East. Yeah, no reason to. Um, But make sure you check out tonight's game. It's going to be – it should be good. Uh, a game between two of the league's best few teams. I think right there it would probably two and three in my book and whatever, whatever, whatever order you want to put it. Um, but And make sure you go give – both podcasts five-star ratings and reviews on itunes as well definitely definitely all right jeff thank you so much all right uh, talk to you later chris talk to you soon